Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. I'm so happy today to host Amy Walker on my podcast for the second time. Amy was one of my first guests back in December 2019, and I invited her back today because her first book just launched. Her book is called But I Flourish, Thriving in Every Season. Isn't that a great title? I had the pleasure of reading it and taking lots of notes, and I just told her that I recorded a list of 31 things in my journal, but of course we won't have the time to cover them all today. Amy, if you could just begin by telling us a little bit about your family and your ministry, and then we'll start by uh, asking you this question, why did you write this book? Hey, so it's so such a privilege to be with you again today, and I'm very excited to be able to talk about my book. So I am a mum of four. Our kids range in age from five through to 26. Um, we are a blended family, so I'm also a wicked <laughs> stepmother. No, I joke. Um, my stepdaughter and I have a wonderful relationship, and it's been such a blessing to both of us. Um, so we have every stage of parenting happening in our house. We have, well, we don't have littles anymore. We've got what we call primary school. Um, we've got middle school, we've got high school happening, and then we have adults. So it is a busy parenting season. Sometimes that's a challenge, having them all at different stages and paces, and they've all got very different needs. But it is also one of my greatest privileges in life to be their mum or mom, as you guys say. <laughs> And Dave and I are coming up to our 20th wedding anniversary in a few weeks. So, um, yeah, that's gone fast. It feels like it was yesterday in one sense and forever in another sense. So that's a little bit about me personally. And um, I'm also the community manager for The Joyful Life, which is how Sue and I met. And that's been a tremendous blessing, bringing so many incredible woman who I'm now privileged to call friends into my life. Um, the first reason that I wrote this book is it's the book I wished that I had 10 years ago and I think it's Lisa Bevere who said um, be the woman you needed or that you wished that you had and very much for me, I believe in mentoring. I believe in discipleship. I think we are all further along the path than someone in some way. Um, and so we all need mentors, but we can all also be them. And so my heart in writing the book was to be the woman that I wished I'd had come alongside me 10, 15 years ago when I was wrestling with all of these things. And um yeah, my heart was just to make those women who are wrestling with some of these things feel seen, feel understood, and feel not alone. But the title was because, and the message is because that was what God spoke to me. That was what I needed. I had become a very good perseverer. Um, you know, I was pretty determined to keep my faith and to keep pressing on through the things that life was throwing at me but there was little to no joy in that perseverance. And so I wouldn't have said that I was flourishing. I would have said that I was wilting or that I was gritting my teeth and getting on with it. I think for me, my perseverance was grounded in looking to myself 
So by that, I mean, when you look at the passages like Romans 5 and James 1 that call us to rejoice in suffering and to persevere because it leads us to maturity, um, I had honed in on those things and thought, I need to get better at persevering. I need to be more mature. That's why God is allowing all these things to keep happening because I'm obviously not enough of those things. He thinks I need more of them. So the focus had become on where I thought I was deficient, how I thought I was lacking. And so um, rather than, and I'll try and explain this quickly, when you look at Romans 5, um, perseverance is meant to lead to character. The King James um, translates that as experience. Our character and our experience is meant to lead to hope. What is hope? It's a confident expectation of God's goodness. So I had been going through these things focused on I need to persevere more. I need to become more mature. And I'd completely lost sight that actually God's goal was that whatever I was walking through, I would come through it with a greater sense of hope, a greater expectation of his goodness and shifting the focus of my own perseverance and my own maturity onto God changed how I navigated difficult chapters of my life. Because rather than looking at what might be wrong with me, I was looking at what was right with God. And that's a much more joyful thing to fuel our perseverance than I'm not good enough. I'm not mature enough. Um, so if you are naturally a perseverer, that is something to be um, celebrated, that you have grit and determination. But I would just say, make sure the goal of your perseverance is not yourself, but your king. So great. Uh, what can you say to the woman who doesn't feel like she is flourishing? I mean, I love that word flourish. I'm not a gardener. You talk about trees, three trees in this book. And, um, and can I just say, like so I kill every plant that I've ever owned. So the irony that God would ask me <laughs> to write a book that has trees as its central image. I'm like, you sure have a sense of humor, God, because I kill every plant. <laughs> I call myself an accidental gardener. If it grows, it's an accident. And a surprise. <laughs> okay. So how would you, uh, what would you say to encourage a woman who does not feel like she's flourishing? Maybe she doesn't even want to admit it to herself. And listening to you today would make her think like, gosh, darn it. I am persevering or I'm a pretty good person and people don't really know that I'm suffering, but I feel all dried up spiritually. What would you say to encourage her? I think the first thing I would say is this doesn't have to be the end of your story. Um, we don't have time today for me to rehash all the reasons I share in the book why I wasn't flourishing and why I felt like it wasn't even possible at that point in time. But now I know that was a lie, that flourishing wasn't possible. Um, the whole book is built around a statement David makes in a difficult season. He says, but I am like an olive tree flourishing. Not, uh, not I will be, but I am right now while I'm on the run for my life, while I don't know how my future is going to turn out, I am flourishing. And his testimony has become my testimony. And I know that it can become your testimony. So I would say it's not the end of your story because you have a good, good father and his heart is for you to flourish and it's going to be a process to learn to thrive again, but it is possible. 
um, and that you can trust him. You can trust him when he's got to till the soil that's become hard and you can trust him when he's got to pull out some weeds and you can trust that he's going to pour in the water and the nutrients that you need to be able to get growing again. And you can trust him even if he has to transplant you sometimes. You know, my roots were in the wrong things. And so... They did have to, um, I want to say gentle digging, but it didn't always feel so gentle <laughs> to put my roots in the right thing. I've been trying to memorize John 15, 1 through 17 for the last 10 months. It takes me a long time. But I thought, I think it's so funny when I repeat the first verse. Well, let's see if I can even say it. But he says, uh, for I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He who, he cuts off those who don't bear fruit. And then what else does he do? He prunes those who do. And I thought, gosh, you really win with God. You either get cut off or you get pruned. And I think really your book was one big pruning. But it was the joy of it in the, and that scripture that keeps going is that I say these things. Why? So that your joy, my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. And so you completed this book. God completed this work in you. But I know that you would say God has more work to complete in you. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is the thing. And this is why I think there's a message in the book for every woman, because growth is a continual process. None of us ever arrive in this lifetime. We're being taken from glory to glory. And I think that doesn't have to be a discouraging thing. We don't have to think, oh, gosh, I've got so far to go still. It's a hopeful thing. It's a beautiful thing that no matter where we are now, we know God still has more for us. What did you mean in the book when you said how um, you were a one-day woman versus a bold warrior woman? A one day win woman. Yeah, I was always looking to the future right now felt just too hard, too pressing to everything for flourishing to be a possibility. Um, But the danger of that thinking of always looking to the future, it meant that I was not able to be present to what God was actually doing right now. And God is always at work if we will have eyes to see it. But because I kept saying, you know, one day when the kids are older or one day when we're out of debt or one day when my husband has a job again or one day when all this stuff is over and I have everything that I think that I need to be the woman that I would really like to be, then I will be. Um, But one day never really rolls around. I don't know if that's been your experience, (laughs) but I'm still waiting for a lot of those one day wins. But the difference is, even though some of my circumstances haven't changed, because God has changed my heart, even though I face some of the same facts or different facts that are just as hard and just as painful, what happens on the inside brings transformation to the outside. So we can still have some of those rocky, you know, big rocks in our garden that we wish God would just get rid of, um, dry places, but we can still flourish in spite of them if we will let God transform our heart to a place of flourishing. Uh, Elaborate um, on this line. I don't need to hide from God, but hide in him. How do you do that on a regular basis? Besides, you know, having a quiet time. I think you just have to get to a point that you will be honest with God. Um, Whatever, whatever that honesty looks like, you know, that that quote for me comes from Psalm 62, where David talks about God being our refuge 
our strong tower and he invites us to pour out our hearts to God, knowing he is loving and he is strong. And that psalm became really precious to me in the season that this book is written about because I felt so much shame about some of the things I felt, some of the things I was doing and my natural response Um, Not just with the shame, but with the wrestling, like why is this stuff happening in my life? Why can't I just get ahead? Why are you allowing other people to look like they're thriving and I feel like I'm dying? Um, You know, all the big questions that at some point we all wrestle with, if we're honest. I felt like as a good Christian girl, I couldn't give voice to those because that wasn't being in faith. That wasn't trusting God. And so I internalized everything. But that became very toxic in my life. You can only sustain internalizing or ignoring things for so long. At some point, they have to come out. And God spoke to me through the psalm that he loved me enough and was strong enough to take whatever it was that I needed to pour out. And for me, that did look like journaling. Um, I share in the book that at one stage I wrote a letter I could burn because I didn't want what I was pouring out to be (laughs) recorded (laughs) for all eternity. (laughs) Um, But so much freedom and truth began to come into my heart and my journey as I learned to stop hiding from God. And so maybe that pouring out happens in your quiet time. Maybe it happens when you're in the garden. Maybe it happens when you're standing at the sink and you just can't take the kids screaming at you one more second. It's that continual internal dialogue that just is willing to turn to God with whatever, how messy it is that just turns to Jesus. You know, last year in a very difficult season, actually one of the devotion writers on the Joyful Life team had written a beautiful devotion about the word Jesus Juba, which just means Jesus help. Um, I don't know if I've actually pronounced that right. I never learned Latin, but um, I just started saying over and over throughout my day, Jesus Juba, because I was at the end of myself, but I knew he wasn't. So it doesn't have to be long. Pouring out your heart, hiding in God doesn't have to take lots of time or lots of words. It can just be a simple cry that you turn your heart toward his in the midst of your wrestling, in the midst of your mess. Um, And you trust that he is loving and strong enough to take whatever it is that you're bringing to him. I know that God loves us expressing our hurts and shame and sin, even and frustration and anger to him because he allowed the Psalms to be written. I and know. Bible to Aren't we grateful for them? <laughs> and I like it that your Bible kind of falls open in the middle. And I, I was told in college that the Psalms <clears throat> were written for the heart of the Bible, for the heart of man. And I think you really meant for the heart of women because we are so expressive. Just oh, as my husband, I'm a lot more expressive than he is. <laughs> But I've always felt that I am free to tell God my deepest shame. And I'm not sure every person feels that way, maybe because I'm such a talker. But it's like he already knows the deep of God. He already knows I'm mad at my girlfriend. He already knows I'm frustrated with my husband or worried about my children. He already knows it. So say it. And there's this release in saying, help me, Lord, because there's nothing else that I can see that's good on the horizon and I'm worried sick. We can say that to him. Now, yeah. I'm And I think what I love about the Psalms just too is in that pouring out, you see a really healthy pattern that they pour it out 
And then they bring themselves back to truth of, but God, you are, God, you've said. And so that for me too has been a really healthy pattern. Like, okay, Lord, I'm dumping out all the stuff. I'm getting it out. I'm telling you the honest truth. Now would you bring me back to the truth of who you are and what you're saying and what you're doing? And you asked what made me shift from that one day win woman to that bold warrior. Um, I don't know if I call myself that in the book, but I would like to think that now I am a much more bold warrior daughter of the king. And it would be because now I know to be grounded in truth, that I can feel certain things, that my facts can even be what they are but that there is a greater truth and it's who God is and it's what he's said and it's what he's doing and it's what he's promised. And that's what I live in light of. I don't ignore all the other stuff, but I make it subject to the truth of who he is. Um, one of my favorites is Psalm 73. I mean, he really shows his weakness, the first two thirds of that Psalm. And then my favorite is, um, but whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none, yeah. none upon earth that I desire besides thee. And I remember writing in my Bible, this is not true of me yet, but I want it to be true. But guess how it ends? But the nearness of God is my good. So not only the goodness that he's done in our character, yours and mine, as we continue to submit ourselves to him, it's not just that we are like museum pieces of what a good Christian is. It's because of his nearness, which kind of mm -hmm. makes me cry, that he cares that much that we are uh, aware of his presence. So that's something <clears throat> I learned more from reading your book was about two things that really touched me was I have really actively begun asking God to cultivate an awareness of his presence. And I'm a busy person. I'm very uh, involved in many things. And so, I've never people, guessed, so. <laughs> what dear? I would never have guessed that you were a busy person. Yeah, yeah. I, I can handle more things on my plate than other people have plates. But the <laughs> The deal of it is with this whole COVID shutdown, I have had not as many things to do. So I said, Lord, I really want to take advantage of this to develop a healthy habit of saying, Lord, I'm aware that you are here with me right now. Not so much, what do you want me to do next? Because I do like to wake up in the morning and say, who do you want me to minister to today? But he wants me to back it up a few miles and say, would you remember that I'm here with you and that that is enough? that the nearness of God is my good. So, mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I really loved was um, David's perspective of God emboldened his actions. And you take us through the life of David, his hard spots, and that he looked at his circumstances through God's character. And from that, then recently, one of my daughters was home and she's so worried about this internship that she needs to get. And I, I prayed that, my Lord, how can I talk to her in a way that she'll listen? Because, you know, your adult children, they have to ask you for advice. You don't just yeah. pour it on. Don't give it. <laughs> I was no unsolicited advice allowed. Yeah. From teens <laughs> up, I found, from teenage years up. It does not work. And But later that morning, I started going... Bethany, you don't, oh, I used her name. Oh, well, Bethany, it's a bit, it's on her Instagram, so it's okay. I said, you don't really need to worry because God actually knows what internship you will actually end up in. And even though you're so worried, guess what? You don't have to because God loves you so much. So I was trying to give her the character of God and my voice kind of squeaked and she pulled up her phone. She goes, say it again, mom. And then she threw the whole thing. So now all of her 
you know, they, they, and she wrote in her Instagram, I miss church on Sunday, but I have my own personal Sue Moore Donaldson. So, you know, praise God, they use a funny moment to tell the truth of God, but I wanted her to know. So later she goes, I don't think my interview went well, but I know the, I know the Lord knows what is going to happen, but she still wanted to complain. But, you know, it's to tell our children who God is, is based on how we live our lives. I mean, we can't fake it. And so we say, you know, I know you don't have a house yet and you're trying to look for a house. I know you don't have a husband yet. I know you're resentful about your ex-husband. This is the person I met with yesterday. I know, I know, I know. But looking at God's character, what can we see about God that will help us? So that that was just really rejuvenating when I read that part. What has helped you about looking at God's character? I think for me... We have to be in the word to know who God is. Like we have to be bringing ourselves back to how he reveals himself in scripture. And it's another reason I love the Psalms because an exercise I did once, um, actually in this season that was really messy and hard, is as I read through the Psalms, I have a wide margined Bible so I can scribble all over it. I wrote down every name and every characteristic of God that I saw revealed in that Psalm. And it's so enriched and enlarged my understanding of who God is, because I think we can focus in on the ones we feel comfortable with um, or just that we get talked about a lot, like his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And those are beautiful things. But he is so much bigger and so much more complex than we can really wrap our heads around. But I think the psalmist start to give us a glimpse into just how multifaceted and how wonderful he is. So I would say, first of all, like we need to be women who are in the word or men, if you're men listening, who are mining it and reading it from the perspective of what does this say about God? Because I think part of my issue back in that time is I was reading it for what through a self-focused lens, like what does this say about my circumstance? And I'm not saying that's wrong, but when it's your starting point for encountering the word, you just keep getting stuck looking at yourself, looking at your own issues. As I've changed and go to the word first for, Lord, let me see you in the scripture, let me know you in the scripture, then I think what we learn about ourselves and our circumstances is much more grounded. But the second thing I would say is, so we've got to be in the word so we know who God is. But then we actually have to believe those things for our own lives. I think it's very easy to think abstractly, God is a good God. God is a loving God. God is a faithful God. It's another step in maturity to add to me to those statements. God is good to me. God loves me. God is faithful to me. And so I think if we want to be bold women who live out the purposes God has for us, then in our circumstances, we need to believe these things about ourselves. And even, you know, yesterday, God is just so gracious. My book launched yesterday and, you know, my brain has been feeling like a computer with way too many tabs open. And I was reading Psalm 18 And there's this phrase that God rescued me because he delighted in me. And I just felt like God, again, encouraging me, you know, whatever happens with the book, I delight in you, Amy. And that's the truth that you go out into this day and out into this week of launching your baby into the world, secure in the truth that God just doesn't abstractly delight. God delights in me 
Amy. God delights in Sue. And whatever your name is, as a listener, God delights in you. So I think it's really important if we're going to be able to stay the course and to keep rooted and grounded in God's love and in God's truth, that it doesn't remain abstract, that we ask the Holy Spirit to make it our own experience, our own revelation, not just something that we think he might be for everybody else, but not us. God loves the world, but he doesn't include me in that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love um, your expression to live loved. I don't know if that was original with you, but I was able to share it with I don't know if it was either. <laughs> I was uh, talking with another daughter over the weekend, and I just told her about it. I said, I love this expression my friend used, living loved, because I feel like I can live I can love others more freely because I know God loves me. And when we're feel, feeling puny and uh, sorry for ourselves or attacked, uh, even by our own bad girlfriend in our heads, that's when we are um, scarce in our giving of love to others. But when we're secure in the love of the father, even if you didn't have a father who loved you, or even if your husband left you, but if you're secure in the love of God, the father who will never disappoint, then you can feel free to give away some of yourself. I think people don't give compliments very easily when they feel like if I take this away from me, I'm losing part of myself, but because we are whole in God and living loved, I just think that's worth the price of the whole book. Right. (laughs) that expression did you want to I think you already talked about that being I think different. yeah I think I've covered that with that Psalm 18 yeah. but you know that it's just the truth that I've had to come back to time and time again what is happening around me does not determine how much God loves me because I think when hard things are happening or we've made mistakes it's really easy to think we're not lovable or um, there's something wrong with us. So this is all this, the reason, you know, and the truth in all of that is we are deeply loved. And when you have that understanding of God's loved and you live loved, um, like you said, not only are we free to overflow with it to others, I just think things don't, um, they don't rock us as much. You know, Paul prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in God's love and that we would come to understand the width and the breadth of it so that we could experience the fullness of God. And I actually think until we get to that place where we are absolutely convinced we're loved and that's what our roots go down into, we are always going to struggle to flourish and thrive. So living loved is one of the core messages of the book and really like Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, it's one of my favourite prayers to pray for people. Um, you had an unusual chapter, I thought, which was something I hadn't thought about anyway, was the insidious danger of resignation. Um, usually when you, you can feel that being resigned to something like to your situation is actually a spiritual way to look at things because you've accepted God's will for your life, which is maybe you're feeling, um, I'm never going to write a book. I'm never going to lead a Bible study. I'm never going to have any friends. Whatever the resignation is, I'm just going to eat worms is what we used to say. I'm going to, you know, uh, suck my thumb and eat some worms, but it's God's will. So, you know, he wants me to be uh, content. So, but what is this insidious danger about resignation? Well, I think there's a difference too between resignation and surrender. Surrender really has a trust and a hope that if God's asking me 
not to do something, whether it is for right now or for forever, um, that it's because he's got something different in mind. It comes from a completely different place, whereas resignation has feelings more like I don't deserve for this to change. Nothing's ever going to look different in my life. There's not a place for me at the table. My words aren't needed. You know, it's a completely different mindset. And I think the thing um, is it stops us pressing into God and it stops us pressing on. So if it's not healthy surrender, if it's unhealthy resignation, we tend to shut off that part of our lives and to think that nothing can ever change there. And we actually have to harden our hearts for that to be possible. You have to shut off that dream, shut off that desire, shut off that part of who you are because it's too painful otherwise. Um, and that was certainly what happened for me. And I think when we stop pressing on and we stop pressing in, um, we stagnate. And what happens with stagnant water, <laughs> it starts to stink and anything that was alive in it can no longer thrive there. And I think that's true in our own lives. Um, and the thing that I would say is there are places that God asks us to let go of things for a season or maybe for forever um, in this lifetime. And it's very different to resignation and it takes intimacy with the father to know what are you asking me to fight for in this season what are you asking me to actually keep contending for um, and what are you just asking me to trust you to allow it to be on a shelf for a season um, and to believe that in your goodness when it's the right time you'll bring back because we're not meant to always be fighting for everything all the time, but there are specific areas where God says, come on, girl, put your armor on, stand firm and keep believing for what it is that I've told you I want you to possess. And I use the story of David in that chapter when he wasn't allowed to fight against the Philistines and that battle that the Philistines were in would be the definitive battle against Saul that enabled David to be king. And God's like, I'm going to make you king, but that's actually not your battle to fight. I need you somewhere else. And David, when he gets back to his hometown, realizes he has to fight for his wives and his children and for the families of his men. And so God was fighting a battle that David had to surrender and trust in. And David was called to fight somewhere else. And so we need real wisdom to say, God, what dreams, what desires of my heart are you saying, you can trust me, you just have to be still, like he said to the Israelites, and I will fight on your behalf. And where are you asking me to put my armor on and join you in the battle? And that brings a real rest to the things in our lives that aren't what we would like them to be because we're not trying to fight everything at once because that is just plain old exhausting. It is exhausting. And as I was reading that chapter, I don't know if it was that chapter or another one, I just started making a list of what am I doing that's hindering God's will in my life where he wants me to move forward and what are some dreams that he might be telling me to do? And I, it was just helpful, a helpful exercise to uh, write and journal as I read. Well, we need to close this up. But what is the uh, one thing that you want uh, women to get from this book? Because there are so many things. So many things, yeah. I, I did miss one thing, though, about um, fruit. Because you talk about plants, and right now my lemon tree is going crazy. I, 
I picked about 35 lemons yesterday and it was half the tree. Wow. So I need to go give them away except half of our neighborhood already have I have to go buy lemons today, Sue, because there's just none on any of my neighbor's yeah. trees. So if she lived closer, I'd take yours. Yeah, I'd be happy to mail them to you, but I don't think it would work all the way to New Zealand. But we have, um, because I'm working on John 15 and it's about fruit and remaining in the vine, I am thinking about fruit, but I don't think we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. And what wrong fruit did you have, uh, wrong view, excuse me, of your own fruitfulness when you were struggling with flourishing? Yeah. So, I mean, I very much had tied fruitfulness to what I call in the book a cultural lens of success. So it was about what I had, you know, possessions, material things, and I didn't have many of those. I still don't have many of those. So in that sense, at that time, I thought I was unfruitful and unsuccessful. Um, I was also tying it to what I was able to do. And because of the needs of our family in that season, I was having to step back from things that I love to do, things that tickle the good Christian girl boxes. And so I was wrestling with all of that. And so it's like, well, I don't have anything and I can't do anything. So I don't have, I'm not a fruitful person. I'm failing. And what I came to understand is God is far more concerned with who I am than what I can have or what I can do. And when those things were taken from me, it was like, well, who am I if I don't have those things? And so coming to an understanding, not only of my identity in Christ, but also understanding the Father is far more interested in whether I am becoming Christ-like in my circumstances than changing the specifics of my circumstances. I absolutely believe he's a God of breakthrough and miracles who shifts things on our behalf, but he is far more concerned with our character and the fruit of our heart than the external things. And so beginning to measure, like, am I becoming more like Christ in this place in my life as a wife, as a mum, as a friend, as a sister, as a daughter of the king and my relationship upwards to God, is that growing? Is that thriving? Then I'm a success, regardless of whether or not I own a house or don't own a house or have children or don't have children or my children are behaving or my children are walking with the Lord or not walking with the Lord. You know, I think those are hard things that we can measure our success and our fruitfulness in. Um, and sometimes those things are completely out of our control and disconnected from actually how fruitful we've been in Christ. So, And yeah. would that be your one thing that you hope people get from this book or did you? Um, I think my one thing would be, it's kind of a two thing, but it's really short because they're connected. God is for you and you can trust him. He's absolutely, utterly trustworthy. And wherever you find yourself today, his heart is for you to thrive and to grow and to fulfill every good plan and purpose that he has for you and that he created you for. And you can trust him whatever the road looks like to get you to that place of maturity. Thank you so much. This has been Amy Walker today. And if you ever go to New Zealand, I'm sure she would welcome you <laughs> over. <laughs> if we ever open our borders again. <laughs> yeah, well, that will happen by the time Mark and I would take that trip. I'm sure they'll be open. So Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a delight to Thank have you in my home on the computer. And mm -hmm. I just pray that you have a, a beautiful, fruitful rest of the day. You've been such a blessing mm -hmm. to me and will continue to be. And um, I'll put all the links, especially to the book, in the show notes. And so people can begin to follow you on all the social media 
parts, but just uh, how lovely it's been today. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.